Welcome to the Bad Roman Podcast. On this show, we talk with veterans, community leaders, Christians, and non-Christians as we explore the entanglement of Christians with the state. The Bad Roman Project was created out of the firm belief that as Christians, we are called to follow Christ, not the state. Here is your host, Craig Hargis. Hey, folks. We get suggestions for guests on the podcast sometimes, and we look seriously into every suggestion and do our best to get these folks on the show because we are always wanting as many perspectives as possible. Today's guest was suggested by our friend Amber. When she sent a clip of her pastor preaching, I couldn't quit listening to what he had to say and asked if she could connect us. I'm excited to welcome the Reverend Dan Morrison to the show. This is going to be good. Would rather serve God than serve Caesar, you know me? I'm just trying to live what he said. I'm just trying to live what he said. I ain't scared. I will take one to the head. Go ahead. So before we get started, and um, I, I, I really appreciated what you had to say in this sermon, because it's something that we're not used to hearing from pastors. And that's one of my growing frustrations with, with, with today, the modern church. But before we get into that, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? What do you want us to know about you? And then uh, we'll get into it. All right. Well, I'm Dan Morrison. I hail from the great state of Alabama. Don't hold that against me. (laughs) Currently living in Springfield, Missouri, and serving as the assistant rector at All Saints Anglican Church in Springfield. Did my undergrad degree in something completely like unrelated to pastoral ministry. I did a degree in classical applied math and was in the computer-based honors program at Alabama, and then moved to Springfield, went to the Assemblies of God Theological Seminary in Springfield, and from there, I ended up moving to Canada, where I attended McMaster Divinity College for my PhD, and have sort of bounced around a little bit since then. Um, got a request to come back to Missouri to serve as a college and young adults pastor. Did that for a few years and then was hired on um, as a faculty member at the Assemblies of God Theological Seminary. Well, while I was involved in all that, I was having some worldview changes and ended up migrating onto the Canterbury Trail and going to the Anglican Church in North America. And hence why I'm currently serving like at an Anglican Church. That's awesome. That's that's a that's a lot of background. <laughs> you've, you've been all over the place. It sounds like I, on the other hand, have not been exposed to a lot of different places. I grew up in Texas, spent twenty five years in Arkansas, now in in Memphis, and so that's pretty much the extent of my travels. <laughs> so it's all kind of in the SEC country. You, you mentioned being from my uh, Alabama. I, I got to ask you: Are you a Tide fan? Oh, absolutely. Or an Auburn fan? Roll Tide. Okay. See, I'm a I'm a big Razorback fan, so. We, we have not beat y'all in quite some time in football, and I don't see that no, changing anytime soon. We've got a pretty good coach now. It seems like they, we're, we're kind of turning things around football-wise, but beating Alabama seems to be like a like it's non-negotiable with God at this point. Like, he's not going to happen. <laughs> but we're pretty good in basketball and baseball, so we got that. So let's start here. There's, while listening to this clip that, that Amber sent me, and like I said, that I, I'm, I'm, I was very appreciative of what you said because I, I, I become very frustrated with pastors these days, and even just just Christians, you know, your your lay lay folks, you know, that I, because when you talk to them with what we're fixing to talk about, when you talk to them about this topic, they look at you cross-eyed, like they don't understand 
like it's something new, but it's not new. Like you go all the way back to the early church. These folks participated, acted like this when it came to the state, when it came to government, you know. So, but it seems so new to folks these days. And when you, when you start talking to them about it, they don't, they're not catching it. Now they will say, well, that makes sense, but it still is not, there's something that's blocking them from even just taking a hold of that. And it's very frustrating for me. But when I heard your sermon, I was like, we need more of this from preachers. Folks are sitting in, in this in church service. And they're listening to everything the pastor's saying, and they're and they just taking it, you know, verbatim as word of God, right? Mm-hmm. But you don't hear enough pastors talking about what you were talking about in this sermon, and I couldn't stop listening to what you had to say. Like Amber sent me this clip, and I think I was just finishing up a, another podcast episode. I was like, "Well, I got to run to the store. I'll listen to it as soon as I can." But I turned it on and listened to half of it on the way to the store, and finished it on the way back home. And as soon as I walked in my door, I messaged Amber. I said, hey, can you get me in touch with him? Can you connect me with him? Because I want to talk to him. No, I appreciate that. But I will say that there are people who definitely do not share your sentiments about my sermons. <laughs> I was going to ask you that, too, because I'm really kind of curious about what kind of pushback you got on the, on this one or, or any other sermons when it, on, when it pertains to this. But why do you... Why do you think that Christians are seeking some kind of uh, solution through political systems? Because you even mentioned this, that it's an illusion. Mm -hmm. But why do you think they are are seeking this? Because it makes folks nasty. It makes folks nasty towards each other, whether you come from the right, the left, the middle, wherever. And it makes folks nasty. I'm not talking about Christians. You know, know, non-Christians are going to do whatever. But we focus on how Christians are behaving. But why do you think Christians are so entangled with this, that they need to seek some kind of solution to, through a political system. Oh, easy. Because a lot of times, I'm just going to put it out here, I don't think that Christians truly trust God as the ruler of all things. I mean, now, you know, I'm not one of these people, oh, God's in control, blah, blah, blah. And so that means that, you know, when this horrible thing happened to you, like God made it happen. Like, no, I'm, I'm not about that life. But we live in a fallen world and people do not, people in the church in particular, do not want to recognize that we are in a fallen world, that Christians are actually called to follow Jesus and suffer. And because of that, it, it creates a few issues because there's a cognitive dissonance. There is a logical inconsistency. There is a theological inconsistency amongst people in the church, generally speaking, because of the fact that they do not actually recognize, okay, if God is all-powerful, if I truly acknowledge Christ as king, then I don't need to appeal to these worldly systems which are destined to fall. I mean, I don't remember if it was in this sermon or the one that followed it the next week, but I made the comment that if you go to my Facebook page and you look at my political views, there is a Bible verse there. And it states, the kingdoms of the world have become that of our God and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever. So if I truly believe that, I don't have to try to infiltrate the the culture. I don't have to try to infiltrate the political systems of our day because as I'm trying to work my way into the political systems, I will find myself, depending on where I am, compromising a whole lot more than what I should be or even willing to. Exactly. And I think that's something that 
that is missed among Christians too, that when you are getting involved with the stuff, you're losing sight of Jesus. You're focused on the next president or the next uh, senator or representative or governor or whatever, and you're you're but you're not. But so you've lost sight of of Jesus, and I think it all comes down to fear. And I've talked to folks that are not Christians that are on the left and on the right, and they're and one of the reasons they might vote because if you look at the political system in America these days, and you look at the choices that are put out there. <laughs> by the two major two major parties, right? Now, the last time I voted was 2016, and I voted very, very third party, like Constitution Party. So I know there's other choices on the ballot. I, I saw it the last time I voted. But if you put look at the, the two choices we normally get as the two on the two major parties, are you think I mean, how do you how do you go like, well, it's this is what I'm hearing. Well, at least it's not Hillary, or at least it's not Trump. So you're not really voting on principle. You're just voting out of fear. You're not voting for anybody. You're voting against. Yeah, you're you're not really voting. And and I've, and I've talked to a lot of libertarians too that are that get involved with this stuff too. And they're like, well, we can change the system within. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense, man. That's like trying to walk inside of the mafia and change the mafia from within. Why are you bothering yourself with it as a Christian? Right now, I will say this. Paul does this really unique and interesting thing in the book of Acts where he appeals to his Roman citizenship to aid him when he is like been taken and arrested and flogged. But notice he still didn't get involved in the system. And now does that mean, you know, because I hear people say, well, you, you can't be you know, a government worker. You can't have a job as a civilian that you're working for the government or you you have like a civilian job in the library because it's associated with, you know, the government. I wouldn't go there. I wouldn't even necessarily, and I'm going to push some buttons with your audience with this, I know, but I wouldn't even say you can't be in the military, but I do think that people need to assess what they are doing and why. Prime example. I remember hearing a story about someone who was joining the military. And you know, just one of those random things, oh, so why are you joining the military? And he literally said, so I can go out and kill Muslims. That was his whole reason. And it was like, please, somebody get rid of this guy. I'm like, please don't tell me you're a Christian. Please don't tell me this. Because if you are, I'm going to raise a lot of questions for you about, okay, what about following the way of Jesus? And I think far too often we lose sight of Christ. We lose sight of Christ's teachings. We lose sight of what is going on in the world. And here's the kicker. We have allowed for the world's systems to infiltrate the local churches. And as a result, the churches look more like the world than they do like Christ. Yeah, that reminds me, right after 9-11, me and a buddy that I was going to church with at the time went and tried to sign up for the Arkansas National Guard because mm -hmm. in his mind, we could go over there and we could preach the gospel. Mm -hmm. In my mind, I wanted to go kill somebody because I was pissed off. Mm -hmm. So what you just said about that person joining the military I understand. I don't understand it anymore because I've, I've talked to Christians before, and they're like, "Well, anybody I see that uh, looks like a Muslim and has a backpack on should be dropped immediately." 
you know, after 9-11, I remember um, there was a friend of mine who was from India and he wore a turban. He stopped wearing his turban because he did not want people profiling him. He was afraid for his life. So he just stopped wearing his turban in the U.S. And that's sad. But I don't think that anger's gone away either. I remember sitting in church, and I, and I hate repeating myself on the show, but since I haven't had you on the show for I'm going to tell you this, I remember sitting in a Southern Baptist church, and we stood up and we saluted service members because it was Memorial Weekend or something. One of those, you know, you know, at the time of this recording, we're coming up on the 4th of July in a couple of days. It was one of those holidays, right? And so I, we stood up, we saluted them, and then right after that, we stood up and pledged allegiance to the flag on the stage. And that, I, I can see your face right now. And at the time, I was, it didn't dawn on me that there's something wrong with this. I was like, yeah, we're a Christian nation. We're the good guys. We should be pledging allegiance to the flag in church. No, sir. Because when you go read anything from Tertullian, and he says, shall we carry a flag? It's a rival to Christ. And you say something like that to a modern-day Christian, uh, conservative mainly. I mean, I don't know a whole lot about the left because I came from the Christian right politically. So, But when you talk to a Christian on the right about this and you say something like that, they don't understand it because in their mind, it was the same mentality I had back then. We're a Christian nation. We're the good guys. <laughs> Only if. But the American government, the American empire is one of the most deadly empires that this world's ever seen, if not the deadliest. You know, we always talk about the Roman Empire and the back in the days of Jesus and the apostles, how deadly they were and how sinful they were. And I wonder sometimes, were they, would it be one of these things like America would be like, hang on, hold my beer and watch this? In a lot of ways, yeah. You know, I, I think that when you stop and look at it, it's, I'll tell you, I used to be in the church choir. I mean, it was a large church choir and every Oh, every 4th of July, Memorial Day weekend, Veterans Day, I dreaded going to church because I knew we were going to do the salute to the armed forces. And I mean, and my thing was this, I mean, flags are up. The, the screen has like the flag waving. You've got like military images on the screen. And I'm sitting here thinking, I came to church to worship Jesus, not the United States. I didn't, I didn't come to worship a country. I came to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. And People would always criticize me for that. I actually had a minister, like, curse me out. <laughs> I remember this because I said, I'm sorry, but would you have a problem with Christians in Afghanistan singing God bless Afghanistan as opposed to God bless America? And with a string of expletives, he starts going off and he goes, what have they done to be blessed by God? I was like, wait, wait, what, what have they done? What have we done to be blessed by God? I'm like, look at the history of our nation and tell me that we are righteous and pure before God's sight, because I can guarantee you we're not. <laughs> You're absolutely right. There's nothing about the history of this country. I saw a Facebook post while we go, and like, like I said, we're coming up on the 4th of July, and I shared it. You can go look at it when we get done here, but it was talking about how America decided to leave England or declare their independence from England, which was in direct violation of Romans 13, and then how Christians at this point can even celebrate this holiday 
as a Christian, and I told, and then I commented, I said, you really want to get them going? Because this is, I've stirred a pot on this one before. <laughs> Tell them that there's nothing about the Revolutionary War that Jesus would endorse. I got home from work one morning. I made that post, and I went to bed. And I woke up to this storm on my Facebook <laughs> because it did not sell, set well with a lot of folks. And I'm like, show me. Show me in the Bible where Jesus would say, yes, go kill other Christians to declare your independence. Right. Well, I mean, stop and think about it. How can how can one lay aside their baptismal identity in Christ to fight and in some cases kill other people who have laid aside their baptismal identity in Christ for the sake of a geopolitical nation? It doesn't work. It doesn't align with the gospel. It doesn't align with anything that we have in scripture. And the first thing, I'm just going to call it, the first thing people will say, well, look at the conquests in the Old Testament with Joshua going in and he's like wiping people out. And I'm like, great. Now, here's the other question then. I'm happy you said that. So, Because usually the people who argue for that are the same people who argue against the use of Old Testament passages that talk about care for the alien and for the foreigner and for the sojourner. And so then my question is, why is it that these passages count because they fit your partisan agenda, but these passages in scripture don't count because they don't fit your partisan agenda? And so let's go all or nothing, baby, and, and jump in because if we don't, what we find ourselves doing is being inconsistent with everything we've got going on. And that's another thing that frustrates me is because when you look at the teachings of Jesus himself, our king, our savior, his teachings were consistent. And when people want to quote or use a, a verse out of context from Paul or like you just mentioned, Joshua, all this. And I'm like, I'm not I don't follow Paul. I don't follow Joshua. I follow Jesus Christ. And when Jesus says that when you've seen me, you've seen the Father, mm -hmm. well, there's nothing about the life of Jesus that suggests we should be going on a conquest for our liberty. Right. Galatians 5.1 5, says it for Christ set us free. Mm -hmm. Not the United States of America. No. It wasn't America. It was Jesus that set us free. And I think if, if, if Christians actually just took that seriously, then they could walk away from these worldly systems. Opt out. Opt out of it. I'm pleading with Christians these days to opt out of it. I don't care what happens because it doesn't matter if you go and vote as hard as you can, red face as you can to go vote. It's not going to change anything. They're, the state's going to do what the state's going to do. now. What are you going to do as a Christian? We're, and you mentioned this in the sermon too. The world is watching. Yes. The world is watching us. Mm -hmm. They're looking for some kind of consistency. And if, if Christians can't be consistent on just this one topic, now we can argue, we can debate all kinds of stuff about the Bible. They did it in the early church. But the very consistency of no king but Christ needs to be followed by Christians because the world is watching. I think that what we do is we forget who we say we belong to, or we just ignore it because we're the exceptions. Of course, we are the Americans. So 
we're good. And I can't even say Americans because then I'm excluding the Canadians and the and like people in like South America and Central America. But <laughs> I mean, but that's what people do is they say, well, we're Americans. And so all of a sudden, it's as if God has placed his hand upon this select country. And in so many ways, I would say people read the Bible and they just replace, they replace Israel as God's people with the USA. And I mean, and let's look at it now. You have to realize what are the three middle letters of Jerusalem? USA. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, I am like really being snarky and facetious right now, even though that is true. And I'm sure someone has said that somewhere. <laughs> That's you know, not my personal noticed that. I've never even noticed that, but I caught your snark immediately with it. And I've never even noticed that about the name Jerusalem. It is USA. <laughs> so God did create the United States on purpose to protect Israel. That's what I used to believe. So we had to do everything we could to keep to protect Israel, even if men killing other people. Right. And then you no. have to ask, what do you do with Paul's statement of the Israel of God? How do you how do you actually reconcile that with Romans 13? Because here's what people fail to do. I love Romans 13. Because people are like, submit to the governing authorities. Okay, what does that mean, first of all? Second of all, are you reading this in light of Romans 12? <laughs> because if, like, if, if Paul is writing, you know, that the Lord says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, then you don't have the right to take vengeance out. And so, therefore, if God so chooses, he can execute vengeance how he desires. But I'm going to guarantee you this. Nine times out of 10, it is not going to look how you want it to look. Because what most people want is, wait, we're like the disciples. Should we call fire down from heaven upon them, O Lord? Jesus is like, hold up. Who said I gave you power to call down fire from heaven on anybody? Let's start there. And second of all, you still don't get me. If you really think it's about you calling down fire from heaven on your enemies, you don't get me. Because as I like to say, you're called to love your neighbor. You're called to love your enemy. So there is no one else for you to hate. And people oftentimes, they jump to Romans 13 without looking at it in its context. People go to Revelation and they're like, see, this is what's going on. And God's on the throne and he's going to rain down fire. And you know, People love to jump to the rider on the white horse in Revelation 19. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Let's bag that train up. Let's start with the one on the throne in Revelation 4 and see what he says. Or better yet, let's back up to Revelation 1, where you have the image of this one like the Son of Man, who was like coming, yes, kingdoms are being wiped out, but it's not. But here's the kicker. This is what I love. I'm sorry. I'm jumping a little bit into Revelation just a tad bit. No, no, I love it. Keep going. This is my book. Revelation 17. When you stop and look at the text, people oftentimes think, oh, wait a minute. See, God's going to come and rain fire down and this is going to happen. The earth is going to be burned. I'm like, the Bible didn't say anything about any of that stuff. But when you look at John's, I call it his third vision. What you end up finding is that it's not a case where the, 
the people of God, because that's the thing, first of all, people were like, well, I'm going to come in following Jesus on my white horse, and we're going to slay people. And if you read the text, the people who are with Jesus do absolutely nothing besides riding in behind him. (laughs) So whoever sold the lie, we're going to be slaying people and not be hurt, like lies. (laughs) Second of all, the destruction of the worldly system of Babylon, the harlot, shows up in Revelation 17. And here is what he says. Verse 16, and the 10 horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. Catch this. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. So here's what happens, plain and simple. Revelation 1, you have God, Jesus Christ, as the ruler of the kings on earth. The one like, you know, like Jesus Christ, faithful witness, ruler of kings on earth, right there, boom. So now, if Christ is identified in chapter 1 as the ruler of the kings on earth, why are these people under the dominion of the harlot? It's because they have given themselves over. They have, dare I say, committed spiritual infidelity. They've engaged in sexual immorality with the harlot. And now notice the system implodes on itself. It is those kings who have subjected themselves to her authority, who have drunk of the wine of her, like of her luxury. It is those people who now turn on her. So in other words, the worldly systems in and of themselves implode. And this is mentioned before Jesus ever shows up as the rider on the white horse. But what we do is we forget all that and we're like, Jesus is coming, we're going with him and we're gonna kill everybody in the name of the Lord. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but we are going to kill people in the name of Jesus does not add up. (laughs) No, we're gonna turn around and say, well, we're doing it for God. But the Lord didn't tell you to do that. (laughs) I love this. It reminds me, we talked about a little bit on our uh, conversation with rival nations, and I I sat inside this Southern Baptist church for years, and then my pastor at the time would talk about Revelation because he was all into end-time prophecy and all this stuff, and turns out he had it all wrong. But he used to say something like that, I'm going to be riding in on my horse behind Jesus, and we're going to be slaying our enemies. And at the time, I was like, yes, I can't wait to get some vengeance Mm -hmm. because I've been treated like crap by people who mocked me for being a Christian. Does not turn out that that's what we're happening. (laughs) Just like you said, we're doing absolutely nothing. (laughs) And I love how you pointed out that these empires will be imploding on their own. It's not because of anything that we've done. It's going to happen because they they can't help but fall. And, you know, it's like, you know, we do get to that point with the rider on the white horse, but notice Jesus turns around and the beast and the false prophet, you know, the first beast and the second beast in Revelation 13, they're taken, they're thrown into, you know, like the flames. Okay. Whatever imagery that's going on about. And then the nations have been stricken down, but why are they stricken down? It's not because they did anything to anybody. It's because they have waged war against Christ himself. 
Like if any, if any form of destruction comes upon anybody, if any form of punishment, it's because they have waged war against God. So then when you stop and think about it, I'm going to give you the Dan Morrison explanation of Revelation real easy. Go all the way back to the first three chapters, the, the ones that aren't so exciting. The message is, hey, churches, y'all look a lot more like the world than you look like Jesus. Fix yourselves. Fix yourselves. There you go. In Ephesus, they're over here. They're like, oh, yeah, well, yeah, we're standing up for Jesus' name, and, we, and we're, we're doing this stuff, and we're opposing people. And what are they doing? The language shows they're exerting power over other people. Well, they don't agree with me, so I'm going to be a jerk face for Jesus, and I'm just going to tell them off, and I'm going to abuse them and try to exert my power over them. And this is what they find. Then you get to the church in Smyrna. And now these people, they're suffering. And Jesus has nothing negative to say to them. Nothing at all. In other words, he's saying, look, the systems are empowered by Satan. The devil is the one who is going to throw you into prison. Then you turn around and you get to Pergamum and they're like, okay, we don't know what to do. We are being attacked. We're suffering. Like we've had people who have died already and now they are split. They are trying to figure out, are we going to turn around and we're going to remain faithful to Jesus in the midst of our persecution? Or are we going to turn around and abandon Christ and appeal to the empire for the sake of staying safe? You get to Thyatira, Thyatira's all over here like, hey, you know what? We're just going to let everything in. <laughs> it's all good. I mean, I love this language. Like this woman who deceives, this woman Jezebel who deceives the, the church. And it's like, but the great thing is this, the text says, oh, you permit her. In other words, the church actually had the power to keep her out with all of her heretical imperial teaching, but they let her in. They welcomed in the syncretism of their imperialism into the worship of Jesus. And then you got Sardis and they're just over here like, well, we aren't doing anything. Exactly. That's your problem. You aren't standing for righteousness sake. You aren't opposing evil. You aren't doing anything. And you're allowing people to get hurt around you. You're allowing fellow believers in other cities to actually suffer. And you aren't even aiding them. You're doing nothing. Philadelphia, they, they come out pretty like, okay, nothing bad is said about them, but they are suffering. They have little power. And all of a sudden you get to Laodicea and it's like, oh, wait, they're not hot. They're not cold, but they are lukewarm. Now, let me tell you, I know people say, we'll see hot springs and cold springs and all that. Heard it, read it. I get it. It's viable. But I'm going to go nerdy science man for a second. That which is hot is distinct from that which surrounds it. That which is cold is distinct from that which surrounds it. But that which is lukewarm has taken on the character and nature of what's around it. It has become like what's surrounding it. And therefore, it is now indistinguishable from that which is around it. And because of that, I'm like, how are you going to have a church where Jesus is like, I'm knocking on the door. I'm knocking like, hey, let me in. How can you have church without Jesus when Jesus is supposed to be the author and object of your worship? Most of these churches are not suffering persecution. Most of these churches have gotten in bed with the empire. And as I like to say, the harlot rides the beast, the bride does not. Sorry, I got a little preacher there for a moment. No, no, no. I love it, man. Sometimes I need to be preached to, and I'm, I'm sitting here just soaking all that in because I love it. And I love what you mentioned in your sermon. And you made this, you made it a point to point out that 
these letters were sent to churches. Mm-hmm. These, church, these, these letters weren't sent to the world. They were sent to churches. Mm-hmm. And I think that's missed by your average Christian. They don't think that their church is that lukewarm church. If you've taken on the, you're surrounded. If you look like what's going on around you, I mean, let, let's be real. Probably 90% of our churches these days are lukewarm. Let's be honest with it. I mean, it may be more than 90%. I don't know. I've been become so disenchanted with the idea of going to church. And I was looking at the distance from here to where you are in Springfield. It's mm-hmm. a five-hour drive. I could do that stand on my head if I want to come to church. Because I am desperately trying to find a congregation that I can come and listen to somebody like you get by, behind a pulpit and talk like you talk. Because I need it. I need to be preached to. I need to be preached at about this because it keeps me going. But I can't find it. I'm surrounded by Southern Baptist churches. And I'm not trying to hate on Southern Baptist churches. But I've spent so much time in Southern Baptist churches, I know it goes on inside of them. Right. And I've talked to people on this show who are Southern Baptist preachers, and they don't all fall in line with this, what I'm talking about. There mm-hmm. are some out there that do not identify the way I'm used to seeing a Southern Baptist church behave. Mm-hmm. I've, I've looked into uh, Orthodox churches. I've looked into... Anabaptist churches, but they're so far away. Right. You know what I'm saying? So I, it's very disappointing to me. I wish we could just get back to maybe these home churches like they used to do in the early church. Right. No, it's, it's so crazy when you stop and look at it, because I'll tell you, like, you're like, hey, I appreciated that. There were people who literally, from what I was told, because, you know, it's churches, so nobody ever comes to you directly. <laughs> So you know you you hear through the you hear through the grapevine, and it was that my sermon was unbiblical, and that I should be removed from the pulpit for teaching such unbiblical things in the church. And I'm sitting here thinking, wait a minute, this is Revelation. My doctoral work was on the book of Revelation. I wrote about 305 pages on three chapters of this book. Okay, I'm like, if. I will give you saying, hey, you know, you didn't quite get on this when you were like preaching from Nahum. Okay, I'll give you that. But I'm like, I dedicated years of my life to studying this book. And I'm not saying I can't be wrong, but I'm going to trust my thoughts on this book with all the in-depth study I've done, as opposed to your opinion about what I'm saying, because you don't like it. I was fixing to ask you if you had any pushback from this sermon and I was not expecting that kind of pushback. Now, I get what you're saying. You, you're not, they're not going to come to you directly because they don't want. Because I'm sure if, if they did come to you directly, you would have a conversation with them and talk to them about it. Oh, yeah. And they don't want that conversation. And I don't like that about people in churches where they kind of go around the corner to talk about folks. But I wasn't expecting that kind of pushback. Like they were asking for your removal. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, and it was a, I heard it was just one person. But I'm like, Seriously? Because, but then at the same time, I had other people who were like, oh, thank you so much for that sermon. We needed to hear that. It has a prophetic nature that we need to embrace in this day and time. So, I mean, I got both ends of the spectrum and a lot of people were like, we needed to hear this. Thank you. But then, you know, those are the people who come to you. <laughs> well, and I think it, uh, it it did something to Amber because she sent it mm-hmm. to me on purpose because she's like, and she sent this, she's like, I think he might be a good podcast 
guest, like with a question mark, <laughs> like she was like, but she's listened to the podcast enough. I'm sure to know that this was going to fit very well with what yeah. we talk about on the bad Roman. Now you mentioned in also in the sermon, January 6th, I, w- I really want to talk about this a little bit because I remember that day. And like I told you before we started recording, I sleep during the day because I work overnights, but I woke up to several messages about what was going on that day. And I don't ever watch corporate media. I, I refuse to unless it's there in the break room at work and I'm trying not to watch it. But I turned on Fox News just to see what the hell was going on. And I watched it for about 30 seconds, turned it off and rolled over and went back to sleep. Because what I saw happening didn't, was not surprising to me. It's It, it looked like to me... and. You, and, and later on, you see clips of it and you see people out there with an American flag and that Christian flag at the same time. Now, like, So these folks are Christians and they're out there trying to save their earthly king. Christians, come on, man. Where are we at with this? In so many ways, I would say that recognition of people trying to marry civil it's civil religion. I mean, I don't know what else to say about it. It's civil religion. It does not honor God. And somehow people have become, like, dare I say, enchanted, disillusioned with this whole idea. I mean, they've fallen under some kind of weird spell almost that my political leader of choice must be in power or God is not on the throne. And I'm like, wait, nobody can dethrone him. I don't know. Maybe God missed the memo, but I don't (laughs) think so. Like, oh, God, you're you're no longer ruler of all things. You're no longer the almighty. Just so you know, this person is now in office in the United States. So you no longer are seated on the throne. Sorry. Have a nice day, Lord. (laughs) I pick on Donald Trump a lot because I don't like the man. And I know we're supposed to love our enemies. You know what I'm saying? But I came from that Christian right. And mm-hmm. the the reason I do have this to say about Donald Trump, I'm thankful for him in one for one reason, because if it was not for him, I wouldn't be where I'm at right now because it started me on a path to start understanding mm-hmm. Christian anarchy and how anarchism aligned with my faith mm-hmm. as once I started understanding my faith and how that kind of went together and you start reading the early church and it was all just coming together. But there was a, there was, there was something that Donald Trump said one time where he was asked, he said, have you ever been, have you ever asked for forgiveness? Mm -hmm. And you remember what he said? I've never had a reason to. All right. So (laughs) if you're listening to this as a Christian and you know what that means and you still run out and vote for him because he's not Hillary, come on. This it, it's it's there's something going on in the mindset of Christians these days that I can't understand anymore. It doesn't make any sense. We've seen we're seeing what's going on in this world right now, and you can still want to go put somebody in power. Jesus said it, he he was speaking to us as well. The Gentiles, you see that they lord over each other, but that will not be the same among you. You're not supposed to go put somebody in power over your, your, your neighbor. We're supposed to serve one another. You just hit the nail on the head. You just hit the nail on the head. 
You're not supposed to, but here's what people are doing. They're attempting to rule over by proxy. In other words, I'm not going to rule over them, but I'm going to put someone in place that will rule the way I want you to be ruled. And therefore, I'm not doing it. And so God will excuse me. I'm just voting for somebody to do it, but they're the ones that are culpable for for doing that. Well, you know what I always come back with with when I hear something like that from these folks? Um, You do realize that you're just outsourcing your own sin to the government. Bingo. And when you say that to them, it takes them back. And I want that to be, I want, I talk to this guy at work about Christ all the time and he's invited me to his church and I've heard him say some hateful things about homosexuals. And, and I'm like, I'm not getting involved with somebody that's going to hate on people that they don't agree with. And, but he's also thinks that we are supposed to be putting people in power because Romans 13 I can always see this coming from a mile away. The Romans 13 argument I've heard a thousand times at this point from folks when I talk to them. I can see it coming. And just like you mentioned earlier, but they don't read Romans 12. The other thing that I think is that people forget Paul could not have voted Caesar into office. They didn't have, early Christians didn't have a say in their governmental power. And so because they didn't have a say in their power and who was ruling over them, it was like, okay, but what does Paul tell people? Hey, pray for those in authority. Crazy thing. So in our church, I'm Anglican. During the prayers of the people, we always pray for you know, the leaders. And usually we'll pray for the president, the governor, and the mayor by name in, in, like in my local parish. I have seen people, depending on who is in office, get mad. Because it's like, wait a minute. I mean, well, you prayed for Trump. Well, the scriptures tell us to pray for those in authority over us. You pray for Biden. Well, scripture tells us to pray for those in authority over us. The Bible doesn't say pray for those in authority over you that you agree with. And so now some people have tried to twist this. And it's like, well, I'm going to pray for them all right. (laughs) Are you really praying? Are you just praying imprecatory psalms now? (laughs) I don't think that's what Paul meant. But now, go curse with God over some stuff, definitely. Go curse with God. Pray them in precatory psalms when you need to. But the issue is what we have to do is actually we pray for those in authority that we might have peace in the land. And people miss it. Hey, folks. Greg here. And I'd like to let y'all know we are always looking for writers to contribute to our blog. I don't care if you have any experience or not. Two or three of our contributors have no prior experience writing, and it turns out they have a real knack for it. Our project coordinator helps them put the articles together, and she publishes them on our website and Facebook page, and you will also have the option to come on the show and go more in-depth about your article. So if you like what we're doing at The Bad Roman and would like to try your hand at writing, then send us an email at thebadromanpodcast at gmail.com. We're having a blast with this project, and we would love for you to join us and help him promote it. Now back to the show. One of my favorite things that is missed about Romans 13, and you said earlier about being subordinate to the governing authorities. People forget that Paul could have used any, all kinds of words, but he used the word submit on purpose. He didn't say obey. Because if you go look at at Acts 5, where it says we are to obey God 
rather than man. I, I've got this new uh, book, David Bentley Hart. I don't know if you're familiar with him or not, but so he did a, a New Testament translation where he's very intentional about the original Greek and how he did it. And I read Acts five last night. I was reading it because mm-hmm. I was kind of curious what it said, the way he translated it. And Peter says, it is necessary that we obey God rather than man. Right. In the, in some other texts, it says we ought to, we are, are we ought to obey God rather than man. No, but in this translation, he said it's necessary. And then you go back to Romans 13, it, Paul said, submit. And it's, and I've used this example a lot on the show. One of my favorite examples of this is Rosa Parks mm-hmm. because she did not obey these evil laws by the government. But when the bus driver said, I'm going to have to call the police. And she said, you may. And when the police came, she submitted to governing authorities. She didn't fight. She submitted, but she did not obey these laws. And when, when, Government laws come in direct conflict with God, with God's law. It is necessary that we obey God rather than man. Trigger warning. Going to go ahead and put this out here. Especially in the U.S. right now. There are people who will definitely say, okay, yeah. But you need to submit when it comes to racial issues. But when it comes to abortion, no. There's that disparity again. And these things keep popping up time and time and time again, because I've heard people say, well, you know, you just need to submit, obey. Okay. But then when it comes to abortion, we don't need to obey. We don't need to. And I'm not saying, you know, hey, we need to go out and like just wreak havoc on everything. But nor am I saying we need to just like lay back and do nothing. But the issue is the lack of consistency amongst people in churches is what really causes for the for people on the outside to be skeptical. And it's like you said in your sermon, the world is watching. Every day. They're not going to agree with, a, with some of the things that we're saying as Christians because they, they've seen how Christians behave. Right. I think Christians themselves have done more damage to the gospel than any atheist could ever think of doing. I would agree. And that's very depressing and sad to me because if we just got back to the very basics of the teachings of Christ, we would see so much change in this world, whether you agree with abortion or whether you're against abortion. I know where I stand on it. I'm not. But I also don't think that any government should be having a say so in this matter. So when the Supreme Court came down and reversed the ruling, the only thing that really happened that day is they just sent it back to the states per the 10th Amendment, which was they followed the United States Constitution for once. We, you know, if, if you're if you're going to believe in the government, in these people swearing oath to the United States Constitution, you should probably be happy that they actually did follow the United States Constitution for once. And I'm not saying that this is not me saying, well, this is good or bad, because I still firmly say, and I've talked to a lot of Christians about this. I that are celebrating this, I'm like, hang on. I don't think the government should be involved in any of this. Mm. I was talking to somebody on the show one time. He goes, I want to live in a world where it's not an option and where Christians can take, take the lead in this and not worry about what a government's going to say or not say about this. Mm. That's where I'm at with it. And I, I get pushed back from other Christians like, well, this you should be celebrating this. I said, I don't celebrate anything the government does. 
because they don't do anything on accident. When they said that, they, that when they said it was leaked out that they were going to reverse it, come on, they didn't leak this out. They did it on it was on purpose. There's something else that that, 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 that we're being set up for, and you got to watch it because they're if the government is backed by Satan, he's the he's the ultimate deceiver, right? Mm-hmm. Come on, there there's there, there's some some deception going on here, and they use it to keep us divided. That's why we've got to opt out. We've got to opt out and get back to following the, the teachings of Christ. It's bait. It's all bait. I mean, think about it. So now the question becomes, with the reversal of Roe v. Wade by the Supreme Court, what's there left to run on right now? That, that was it. Right. <laughs> exactly. Well, and it reminds me of, and I, I, I stayed away from, when Biden and Trump were on the debate stage, I, I stay away from that garbage because it's it's all garbage to me. But I saw a clip secondhand, and Donald Trump said, "Abortion is not on the ballot." And then I'm like, "All right, Christians, if this is your shiny red button that Keith Giles talks about in Jesus Untangled, where did you where are you at now? You just lost that because Trump said it, and now it's been reversed by Roe v. Wade. Where are you at now?" What are you going to run on now? It's a great question. But, you know, we got a couple of years. We can come up with something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, now we got the uh, we got the midterms coming up. That's that's what I think this was about. Mm-hmm. They keep people frothing at the mouth of the, at each other about something. And we've got the midterms coming up. Now, I don't vote. I've, I've opted out. But this particular episode, and I'm doing a series of recordings through the month of July. And the last two weeks of June, I've, I've recorded. And this is all going to be leading up to the midterms because I want Christians to start thinking about this very seriously before they run to the polls to get whoever they think needs to be in power in power. But I, there's, I want to touch on one more thing that you said in the sermon, and then I'll let you get out of here. I don't want to keep you too long, but you said, why are, and I'm paraphrasing, you said, why are Christians going to these worldly systems who caused the death of their savior. Yes. That that point is missed so much because if it wasn't for religious leaders in the state, they're the ones who crucified Jesus. Right. It wasn't God. It was the state and religious leaders. Why are you going to these worldly systems who caused the death of your savior? Because people don't think about it because I'm just going to, I'm going to get in bed with the beast. <laughs> Better to be in bed with the beast than suffer under the foot of the beast is what people's attitudes is. Like the attitude of people is, I would rather be in bed with the beast than suffer from the wrath of the beast. They miss the whole framework of, wait, Jesus even says, um, which church is, I think it's the church in Pergamum. He's like, hey, by the way, yeah, there's some of you who have died. Oh, by the way, I'll come with the sword of my mouth. Like, wait a minute, you don't want to be on that end of the sword. So basically Jesus tells them, you will face a sword. Either you're going to face the sword of your worldly empire or you're going to face my sword. Which one do you want to face? It's an encouragement to, hey, be faithful to me, but which sword are you going to face? And the thing is, so many people fail to recognize that while a worldly system has the power to kill the body, Christ can destroy body and soul choose this day who you will serve choose this day who you will serve 
That's it. And this, the whole point of this, this project was started because of my frustration with Christians. Mm. And the longer this project has gone, the more frustrated I've become. And it's not because we, we, we get a lot of great feedback from folks about what we're doing with this project. They're really thankful for, for what we're doing because there's not a lot of folks out there talking like you and I are talking right now. Right. But there's a lot, there's, there's, there's a remnant out there that are like, hang on, something's wrong here. Where are we at with Jesus? Right. And then there's other times when I get emails <laughs> that it's not, they do come to me directly when they're upset with something I had to say. <laughs> and I appreciate it because I'll have a conversation with them. But if you're going to try and hit me with Romans 13 or I've heard all of it, I've heard it. You're not going to say anything to me that I have not heard before. Right. And when we first started this, I had to really dig deep and get inside of Romans 13 to really understand it myself, what Paul was talking about. Mm-hmm. Because it's the go-to. It's the go-to verse when people want to speak against what Christian anarchists are talking about. And I don't know if you if you consider yourself an anarchist, and I don't expect you to answer that question because of whatever, but... It's something that we talk about quite a bit because when I can go back to the early church, these folks were anarchists, but they didn't call themselves anarchists. You know, it reminds me of something. I always go back to Tertullian. There's some things that Tertullian has said that I don't agree with, but with his view on the Roman Empire, he was spot on. Oh, yeah. And he would tell them, he said, we have no interest in your meetings. It is completely foreign to us, the affairs of the state completely foreign to us. And it should be that way with us today. We're, we're so backwards in our Christian thinking these days when it comes to, the, to empire. Let me tell you one quick thing about that whole framework. And I didn't notice this until I was doing some research on Revelation. But you notice that it's sent to the seven churches that are in Asia Minor. And a lot of people say, oh, the church, the called out ones, all of this stuff. I'm like, yeah, true. But here's the thing that I had not noticed beforehand. The term that we translate as church is also a political term. So in the book of Acts, when, you know, there's preaching going on and there's an uprising and a riot in Ephesus, there's a gathering of the ecclesia, the citizens of that local area. So what we should understand the church to be is actually a local gathering of the citizens of the people of God who have come together for a certain purpose. That flies in the face of a lot of craziness, though. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. I've been looking forward to this conversation since we set it up because, I've, and I've listened to your sermon quite a bit in preparation, and just because it, 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 it helps, it edifies me. It helps me kind of keep my focus, and I appreciate that you are bold and brave enough to get behind the pulpit and say the things you say because Christians need to hear what you're having to say because it is completely biblical what you're talking about. And you did not disappoint one bit with this conversation. I really appreciate your boldness and uh, not uh, not afraid to speak the truth. I really appreciate that. Is there anything you want to to plug before I let you go or... Not really. I guess the only real thing would be I 
am trying to get things going on the social media front. So I have like a Facebook page of Daniel I. Morrison, like my author page. And then on Twitter and Instagram, I am Doc Dan Mo, D-O-C-D-A-N-M-O. And just trying to get some things set up for that. And what I'm pushing to do and planning is to actually take things like I'm preaching in my sermons and post them on social media in order to start to ask people, hey, what are you thinking? What are you doing? How do these things come together? How can we have a discussion about this that is fruitful for the kingdom of God? I love it. I love it. What about y'all's website at, at the church there where, where they can find your sermons right now before you get all that going? Ah, that, that's true. I, I was going to tell you, you probably want to go and listen to the next week's sermon, by the way. Okay. But um, our website is allsaintsspringfield.org. AllSaintsSpringfield.org. It's just all together, no hyphens, no dashes or anything of that nature. And then you can click on the sermon links. I don't preach every week, but I preach fairly often. And I actually preached from the Gospel of Luke on who do the crowd say that I am and then waited for Jesus' transition to who do you say that I am. And one of the key pieces that I touched on was that Christians should be very careful when they see religious leaders partnering with political leaders with an agenda, because Jesus spoke of his own death by saying that the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes were going to hand him over. And they turned around in chapter, I think, 22, 23, handed Jesus over to Pilate, which lay it to his death. When religious leaders start partnering with political leaders, it is time for the church to perk their ears up and be careful. Amen. Completely agree. Well, sir, I really appreciate this, and I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. And I think this episode is going to be cool for our, our audience. You know, I, they're going to they're going to get a kick out of this one because I think we kind of we kind of got a little loud, but we weren't being loud at each other. But we got pretty uh, fired up about this conversation. And I was looking forward to that. Really, no, same here. It's been exciting and a privilege to be with you today. All right, buddy, I'm going to let you get out of here. All right, thanks, Craig. <laughs> Thanks for joining us this week on the Bad Roman Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you find your podcasts to never miss an episode. And while you're at it, if you like what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, it really helps people find us. 100% of donations are given to local charities in Memphis, Tennessee. To learn more about the Bad Roman Project and to find show notes, please visit thebadroman.com.